0: Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. I'm your host Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. All right, welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today we've got Jim Zub on the line. Uh, Jim is a writer of comics, Avengers, Dungeons and Dragons, Champions, Figment, Samurai Jack, and Wayward, among many others. Jim, what's going on?
1: Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: For sure. So where are you in the world? Do you want to just tell us?
1: Uh... Uh, I'm based in Toronto, Canada. So uh, you guys are in New York, so I we're on the same time zone.
0: That's kind of good. Which means we we're able to connect tonight and, and uh, we didn't miss each other, which sometimes happens with podcasts.
1: That's right. Yeah, when you're playing with different time zones, you never know <laughs> uh,
0: what you're going to get. And, uh, as a comic book writer, sometimes you working, you know, internationally encounter some of those those challenges as well right
1: yeah absolutely uh, one of the artists i work with he's based in um just outside of tokyo and so we've got like a 13 hour difference when we're setting up calls it's like i'm getting ready to go to bed and he's waking up and sending the kids off to school you know
0: so, you know, speaking of the life of a writer, normally when we've uh, done these episodes, we usually start from the beginning and kind of work our way forward. Uh, but we'd like to do something a little different in this episode. We'd like to kind of give this theme of this episode, um, how to write a comic 101. one Are you cool with that? Sure. Sure. Awesome. You guys awesome. want to talk
1: the process? I'm, I'm totally cool with that.
0: Yeah, we want to talk process. Um, so yeah, school me on, on writing a comic. Let's start from the beginning. How does one... Where does the inception of an idea come from? Do you come up with it and then say, i got to pitch this? Or does someone contact you?
1: I think, I mean, it does vary quite a bit. So there's sort of, I mean, there's all sorts of different ways to make any kind of creative project. But um, if you're talking about the the kind of current North American comic industry, so... I mean comics is a collaborative process. So there's a bunch of different ways that projects come together, but if we were going to categorize it, I guess I could sort of put it into two kind of things. You got creator-owned projects, which are, you know, where someone is coming up with their own concept, sometimes putting together the art team, sometimes not, uh, and taking that to a publisher or putting it online or or just, you know, whatever sort of method you're going to use to deliver the story. And then there's work for hire, which is where you're doing commercial writing for a publisher. Uh, pre-established properties usually or stuff where you know like intellectual property where you are adding to their um, existing kind of base you know so when i do superhero writing for marvel that's work for hire when i do my own stuff that gets published at image comics that's creator owned and so some of those projects are things where an editor is approaching you and saying, you know, like we have a base concept and we're looking for someone to flesh this out or this is the property. Does this interest you? Uh, and with creator on stuff, it's like you're coming up with the entire thing. You're building the story. You're figuring out where you want it to go. And so, those, you know, th- that's kind of the germ of the thing is whether or not it's a commercial writing gig or it's a kind of creative project that you're trying to put together yourself.
0: So let's make this like a choose your own adventure let's say sure. you create your own um, right when you do how do you go about coming up with that initial idea? Is there you know do you already have an idea or do you sit down one day and say, "Hey, I want to write my next comic? What should it be about?"
1: Well sometimes it's like I've got sort of a scrap file of ideas that are kicking around some of them I have like a title and a concept some of them I have a theme and just sort of free-floating ideas that that i'm trying to anchor to a particular story sometimes it's a character sometimes it's a place or a particular visual thing it can really vary you know like any kind of creative process it it's going to be a little bit different every time but usually i want to try and have an artist attached before i start to really flesh it out because comics as a medium i mean it's a visual medium and so if you go in You need to have a sense of what it's going to look like. At least I do. I want to have a sense of what the style is going to be. You know, I want to be able to talk to that artist and be able to develop it alongside them so that we're both really invested in the final product.
0: And do you know, going into it, like, let's say you have a concept, do you know, okay, this is just going to be a graphic novel or this is going to be an ongoing like is the sense of like length involved early or is that uh, something you, you know sometimes
1: later? yeah it's it varies every time like sometimes i've got a pretty locked down vision of oh, okay this i can do in four issues or this is going to take this many and then sometimes it just sort of grows organically as you start working on it you know that's just the nature of of any kind of creative project the more you work on it the more kind of ideas tend to flow out of it um the ongoing creator-owned series i'm doing right now called wayward we didn't have kind of Uh, I had an ending in mind, but I wasn't sure how long it would take us to get there. And we're actually coming to the end later this year. And when it's all said and done, it's going to be 30 issues. And so that kind of longer form project is something that you have milestones. You kind of know where you want to go dramatically, but you don't necessarily have every single chapter plotted out ahead of time.
0: Right. And when you start working on this, uh, let's say you want to come up with a, a concept. You have very initial ideas. Where do you go? Do you go to a coffee shop? Do you go to sit, go into your basement, you know, somewhere moody? What's your, what's
1: your, I I tend to do just research. Like I tend to just read a lot, like I'm reading, uh, uh, research material or watching stuff that inspires me just trying to get that kind of the creative juices going. Sometimes I go for a walk. Sometimes I watch Uh, you know related kind of documentaries or just a little bit of anything to sort of get myself into that space Uh, the most important thing for me is is also about like getting ideas down on paper i think a lot of people they they have ideas in their head and you know without trying to sound um, mean or anything i think in our heads it's always seems very fully formed or it feels really you know far along. And then once you start putting it down on in a document or on paper or whatever, you start to see all the holes in it. You know, you start to say, oh, okay, how do I get from here to there? Or what is this thing really about? Or, or you know, what is the structure of this story? I tend to be kind of formalist in that way. I know some people are very by the seat of the pants kind of writing. They just want to start writing a scene or a moment or a right. character and see where it leads them. I tend to plan stuff out more. I tend to want to have at least some of that structure
0: in place before I start actually writing scenes or anything like that. I think I heard somewhere that um, the process of actually just like typing something or writing something increases your chances of actually doing that thing by like, like 1000% or something to that effect. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, if it just stays in your head, it's not, you're not developing it, you're not actually looking at it sort of, outside of your imagination. You know, you need to sort of be able to see it for what it is. And if if once I put everything I've kind of got in my head down, it'll either start to immediately lead to other ideas or it shows me that I need to do research or it shows me that I need to start sort of pounding away and figuring out how to fill in those holes, you know. Um I I talk to a lot of people who say they want to write stuff and then when I ask them what they've written, they go, "Oh, well, you know, I haven't been inspired or I'm not
0: ready right. yet."
1: And I kind of go, "Well, you know, the only way to get ready is to just sort of do, that's not to say that you don't plan because obviously there's planning, but I I've known quite a few people over the years who have also kind of fallen into that trap of planning endlessly and never actually executing. Right. So there's sort of a balance to be struck between, you know, get the material down, get, see what you need, you know, do the research, start to flesh it out and then try as hard as you can to be decisive, try and move forward and say, okay, this is where I'm at, you know, is this the stage I feel like I have enough that I can approach an artist, you know, and sort of look at it from their point of view, go, if if I was an artist, and I saw this concept, this pitch, is this, does this seem like something? Or does this just seem like a vapor, you know, that needs more development? Because essentially, once you start trying to, to either work with a publisher or work with an artist or both, you're, it's almost like a, like you're going, looking for a date, you know what I mean? You're like trying to be a good catch, you know, be a good catch for a publisher, be a good catch for an editor, be a good catch for an artist. Like, look, I've got something cool here that you wouldn't have come up with on your own. And if we work together, it's going to be better, you know?
0: And does that influence your concept? Are you are you ever finding yourself like, oh, I've got to write this a little bit more conceptual because pitching that concept will help me get it published? Or are you kind of like, fuck it, I'm just going to write what I want and this is what it is and then I'll worry about pitching it later?
1: Um, I think it's a, you know, it, it, it every project's a little different. Like sometimes I've got an idea much more tightly kind of wound in my head and it's more like me trying to explain that to the publisher and other times I'm like I kind of know the germ of the thing is there and it needs more development but there's enough that I can get someone's interest and then get their expertise and feedback to help me take it to the next stage particularly when i'm working with the commercial stuff if i'm you know creator owned i want to have a pretty tight vision because it's my story you know that i'm going to end up owning in the end uh but with the commercial stuff i'm working with uh, you know for marvel i want to run this by my editor so i know if i'm going in the right direction or he's going to point something out that i wasn't aware of about you know future publishing plans that are going to kind of throw water all over my big epic idea you know the sooner I can get the editor involved on the commercial stuff the better because they're gonna they know the full structure of the you know the publishing plan and what other things are happening so it really depends the creator-owned stuff I tend to go off into the weeds more and create a bunch because I kind of know that it's going to be closer
0: to my initial concept you know it's not going to go through as many hands Interesting. And on the other end of the coin, when someone approaches you with a concept for hire, are you ever like, wow, this is too conceptual? This is something that maybe I don't want to do, but wow, the pay is good. Like, how do you find that line? And when I you mean, choose? you're trying
1: to balance, you know, being brought on a board, a commercial project is ideally because you are bringing something into it. Like, I'm not just the script robot right Right. so i need to be you know invested in it emotionally or you know have something that i'm bringing to the table it's rare that i just pick up a project that's just like okay i will coldly execute the plan you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like i i've done a few of those over the years but they tend to be really short-term just get it done, get it out kind of stuff. And, I, you know, you can still, even in those cases, you can surprise yourself and kind of get a little invested into it once you start executing the idea in, in your own way. But, you know, at the end of it, it's sort of like you look at the opportunity and you look at the, you know, what what you have to sort of bring into it. And I want to get that conversation going as early as possible. Like, okay, here's what I think, or here's T- it's almost like improv, like, let's take what you've got and add to it, you know, plussing the the idea, trying to build off of it so that the publisher is happy that they're getting something that they asked for. And I'm happy that I get to bring
0: something into the mix and make it, you know, more me or, you know, whatever you want to call it. And when you begin the writing process, um, as far as where you start, are hmm. you working with outlines? Uh, you said you're a formalist. So are you a, uh, let's figure out the end, and work our way backwards and fill in the gaps, or are you? Uh, I assume you said you're not a just start and go, or are yeah, you somewhere I'm between?
1: not a, a see the pants kind of guy. I definitely outline pretty tightly. And then I'll do, because, you know, comics are quite structured, there's going to be a set number of pages, particularly on a commercial project. Like on a creator-owned, I can sort of, oh, it would be helpful to add a page here. But Marvel's paying the artist and has a schedule built around a set number of pages. And currently on a monthly book, that would be 20 pages. So whether or not I want to do 24 or 26 or 21 that's not what I'm going to get. So I need to go into it very structured and sort of go, I have 21 or sorry, I have 20 pages and this is what it's going to be. And so I'll go in and and literally make a page pacing document, which is from one to 20. Even after I have the outline and it's approved, I'll go in and I'll figure out on this page, this bit happens on this page, this bit of plot happens. And comics are pretty unique in that way that you also have kind of an interesting storytelling uh, aspect. So there's a page turn in comics. So when you turn to the next page, uh, you know, the page on the, on the even side, the one that you reveal, that's a good spot to put a surprise. That's a good spot to kind of pay off Interesting. Yeah. a question. So if at all possible, you don't want to say, well, you know, someone goes, oh my gosh, it's the murderer. And then you just, your eyes uh, move over to the right-hand page and you already know who it is before you finished reading because you saw it. So if you can have those surprises, those reveals, those shocks on the reveal page, that becomes sort of a structural beat that you start to work with. You right. start to think, okay, big moment pays off on the page turn. Not every page turn, but more often than than not, you want to pay that off on an even numbered page so that as someone's reading, you know, they turn into a surprise, they turn
0: into a scene change or a reveal or something like that. Would you equate that to, let's say we look at a comic, like an episodic uh, TV series, and every page, or I guess every two pages or so, with that flip, is that the end of the episode where there's that hook, and then and you find out the payoff the next episode?
1: Well, I mean, at the end of an issue, absolutely. You've got a cliffhanger of some sort, if it's an ongoing series, or you know, you've know, you got a satisfying narrative kind of chunk, and giving people reasons to come back for the next issue, the next chapter, the next piece. You know, And it's not that every scene has to end on a you know an odd numbered page it's just like it can be a nice rhythmic way to sort of think about things in big, broad pages. You know there are times when I'll change scenes in the middle of a page, but it's structurally it tends to be more often than not at the bottom of a page. you know so you start to just sort of visually chunk the story into these big page uh, scenes and elements you know sometimes in that outline, I'm writing little bits or or important lines of dialogue, other times I'm just sort of. I'll literally write a page pacing and sometimes it'll just say action, you know, like this is where the people fight, you know? Interesting. And when when I get there, I'll figure out how to make that fight inventive or how to use the particular environment or all the different elements to make that fight cool. But I'll know, for example, these four or five pages are gonna be where the scrap happens. And by this page, the fight'll be, you know, wrapped up and I know what the end result is gonna be.
0: Interesting. And at what point do you, you said early on that you, you like to choose an artist early. What is the intersection between the writing and working with an artist to bring well, it to fruition? Well, I, th- I
1: think the most common mistake that people make about comics is that they think that the two disciplines are separate. Like the artist is the storyteller, and I am also the storyteller as the writer. We are collaboratively telling the story. Right. You know, if I give the exact same script to a different artist, how they interpret it will completely change how people are reading the story. You know, uh, I've literally had a series where I was working on it, and the reaction I was getting from readers changes completely because the artist changed midway through the run. And all of a sudden, the exact same kind of storytelling, the exact same kind of dialogue, people are responding to it differently because of how the artist is interpreting it. And so, you know, having a good relationship with the artist, making sure that you're all, um, you know, going in the same direction, have the same understanding of the story, or at least have enough trust with each other that what each other is doing in terms of, of your part of the development is clear, you know, and that's a uh, something you kind of have to learn to let go of as well. Like once I've handed off that script, hopefully I've inspired the artist and that they're envisioning something that is going to work and deliver the story that, you know, I have in mind. But they can't read my mind. like They can't see it exactly the way I saw it as I was writing it. So they're always going to be interpreting. And you kind of need to, once you get those pages, you're trying to give feedback to make it the best story possible. Not trying to yank them into you know the perfect version in your head. Because it's just not going to happen. You've got to sort of say, okay, that actually works better or this oh you're emphasizing this aspect of it visually cool maybe it would be better if i adjust the dialogue to lean into that you know just being flexible about that collaborative process you know if you're a prose author whatever you write is going to be on the page and then people are going to summon kind of vision of it in their own imagination but with a comic the artist is the one that's summoning those visions and so you've got to basically get them on board get them excited. Uh, and then you know, let them do what they do best.
0: Is there an art to working with an artist? You said you worked with an artist uh, overseas. Would mm-hmm. you prefer to work with an artist that's you know down the street from you, meet up, have a beer, and and just kind of talk it out? What would you say is the would, what's your I mean, preference?
1: I, you know, ideally you want to have that rapport. So having a local, i have actually never worked with a local artist, which wow. is weird. Uh, so I'm used to having kind of the remote interactions. I mean, we'll jump on Skype or. You know, Google Hangout or whatever, and and chat or or the phone, or you know, just there's all sorts of different ways to to build up that rapport. But it is nice to have that communication. You're not just sort of coldly sending a script off into the void and then seeing what comes back. I've done that where I've written scripts and I don't know who the artist is going to be. They haven't decided yet at the publisher, and so by the time the artist is picked, you know, I would have written it a little bit differently. So I'm sort of scrambling a little bit to get on the phone with them and kind of make sure we're all doing the same thing or you know going the same direction with it that's just you know comics are a collaborative process and like i said the artist is absolutely integral to that storytelling you know they are the visual storyteller they are enhancing and and interpreting the stuff that i put in the script uh i think people assume that it's just absolute like i'm you know i come up with everything and then people that think that the artist is the art robot are fools because the artist has such a huge role to play in the final look and feel of, of the comic, you know. People see the art long before they, you know, on the cover and in the previews, that's the stuff that's going to grab their attention anyways. You know, you've got to make sure that you're giving the artist the best kind of palette to work with, the best kind of material to, to do what they do best.
0: So you work with the artist, um, you know, midway through, and you're kind of you have these uh, the page pacing. Let's say you you've got the outline ready, um, you paste everything out, and you start to actually go in and you're and you're writing and you're refining. And I would imagine that's the next mm-hmm. step to the process. Yeah, the, right? the
1: actual scripting. So I'll go in and and the script format is sort of it's not quite a screenplay and it's not quite prose. It's weird because like a comic book script is not something that like a screenplay, you know, the, the actors are going to interpret or they're going to take that dialogue and make it their own. So you're writing dialogue, you're writing for lack of a better term, like screen directions, you're writing like panel, you know, descriptions and information, but it's also almost like a, like a cheerleading letter. Like you're trying to get the artist pumped and seeing the things that you're envisioning and then make them, you know, excited to, to really deliver on that. So there's all sorts of like, kind of direct notes right to the, to the artist where I'm talking about particular things. I'll say, this is what's happening on the page and here's why it's important. You know, it's not something where I'm trying to, if it's a mystery story, I'm not holding back from the artist, the information that they need. I'll tell them what they need to show because that's going to be important later on. There's no secrets. You know, I'm not trying to dramatically hold stuff back from them They're They need to know what's going to be in the story and how we're paying it all off, you know so the the script is is not um a typical kind of dramatic prose sort of story, but it does have exciting language to it because you want to get people into the mode uh you know it's like a bit like a screenplay and it's got dialogue and it's got screen directions, but there's also all sorts of other notes sometimes you have lettering notes or you'll have coloring notes or all kinds of other things you're trying to make sure that everyone on the team kind of knows what's important and what they're going
0: to be putting into the final pages. When you give that screen direction or those notes, you know, I've had this experience when giving kind of direction or notes to editors before. Um maybe you try it for the first time and it's it doesn't come out the way you want it. So over <laughs> the process of learning, I would imagine, you know, you've been doing this for a while. What have you learned that in in like what do you have to say like if you want this this to end up looking like this, what are those things that you have to do to make sure that your direction or your idea comes across?
1: Well, I think, you know, every kind of project, you build up that working relationship and you start to understand how the artist is interpreting what you're working with and vice versa. They get used to what I'm excited about as well. And so it becomes like, a you know, the longer you work together, it becomes like a shorthand. Like I can just go in and artists that I've worked with on dozens of issues, we just, you know, it feels very comfortable. We just sort of dive into it. Um, I'll use little tricks, and I don't have to explain them anymore because narratively we've done this before. We're just doing a different spin on it, or you know, um, they know the kind of notes I'm going to come back with when the roughs come in, so they're already kind of prepared for it. Those kinds of things. But it's the first it, first time you work with an artist where you just don't know what you're going to get. That's kind of the weird right. part. Where you just sort of. I tend to to write those first scripts for an artist that I've never worked with before. They're a lot denser. They're right. a lot more. careful, I guess, is the right way to put it. But just there's a lot more um, reference material attached, just whatever I can do to sort of envision that thing and and strengthen their understanding of where I'm coming from, you know. Uh, But again, it's like, some writers will go into a comic, there's a process that like Stan Lee used to do at Marvel back in the 60s. And he would just sort of give the artist the overall story. And the artist would completely interpret all the paneling. And then Stan would go back in and dialogue the whole thing, which is kind of mind boggling. I don't know that I could do that. Like it's a certainly a viable way of doing it, but I'm so used to writing what's called full script, which has got all the screen directions, which has got all the kind of breakdowns of everything that happens on the page that I think it would be really hard to kind of completely give that up to the artist and then go in afterwards and hope that the dialogue that I came up with would still deliver that story.
0: What's the most fun part of that process? Would you say, is it dialogue? Is it uh, those direction, those notes? Is it the character backstory? What would you say like for you? Um,
1: I love writing action. I love kind of coming up with weird sort of inventive ways to, to, you know, for characters to, to engage, uh, in action. So whether that's super heroic sort of stuff or sword and sorcery, I want to try and show people things they haven't quite seen before, or give a little bit of a different twist on, on a, you know, on an old trope, you know, that sort of stuff is fun trying to figure out how to use this particular configuration of where we are and who these characters are and make this, you know, wild and, and interesting and something again, visually that the artist is going to get excited about, you know, I want the artist to be able to dig in and do something really cool with it. And the only way they're going to be able to do that is if I give them something cool to play with, or I make them excited to, to want to deliver it on the page, you know?
0: Right. What about the the creation of characters? How do you go about that? I mean, I assume that comes after the inception of the idea and then you're deciding, okay, who's my main character? And, and then working from there what's your process yeah of and the, again it's like yeah. getting
1: the artist involved as early as i can so that okay. they're able to put a design together and we can start it, you know moving it from abstract to something distinctive so then i say okay this is kind of what i'm envisioning but what's your sort of thought what kind of thing do you think is cool or what do you want to draw and then they'll bounce a sketch back to me and then that generates more ideas but, you know real c- collaborative stuff again like um, you know, I want the artist to feel invested in the process. Like we just did a thing where on the Champions, which is this um, Marvel team book that I'm doing, right. we just did some new costume designs for some of the characters, and the artist got to go in and You know, Sean did a wonderful job coming up with one of the outfits, and then the Marvel editorial team had another artist come in and design one of the other ones, and so it was like kind of this process of going back and forth and saying, okay, well, here's what's, how it's going to be used in the story. How can we visually show that, or what sort of things to exemplify about how their personality has changed? Can we show in the way that their new superhero, you know, suit looks, or whatever? And some of that's subtle, and some of that's broad, and you just want you, you want everyone to feel like they have something to bring to the table, so that when we're finished, we're all really proud of the end result.
0: And just kind of finishing off that process, basically, you know, I'm, I imagine you're going back and forth with the various edits. You're 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 writing the script, they're sending back um, the art, going back and forth and, and, and refining it um, yeah. from there. Are you sending these um, drafts to, I don't know, Marvel, the company? Yeah, send it to the okay. editor first, okay. and then once okay. it's
1: approved, it goes through to the artist. The, the editor always gets the first kind of crack at it to make sure that there's no obvious mistakes that we don't want to miss, you know, or, or extra reference material they need to pull or just whatever's required on that front. So, you know, on a creator on thing, it's more free form where I'm just sending it right to the artist, but right. on a commercial project, there's always, you know, an approval step that it's got to go through. Even if I've outlined it and it's been approved, there's still going to be, you know, the interpretation of that, how I actually scripted it out. It's still got to go through that approval process.
0: And this is and it, before again,
1: the longer you work on a project, the more kind of trust and, you know, the faster that tends to go.
0: And this is before you've even like had uh, drafts back from the artist or is, or is, that kind of gone on, but you have, they haven't actually started to.
1: Well, the full script goes okay. through editorial before okay. the artist even gets it. Interesting. So yeah, I, they, they may know what the overall story is, but the actual writing is going to get through editorial first because they have to, you know, have their say or, In the case of like a licensed property, you know, like if I'm writing Dungeons and Dragons, the people who create the Dungeons and Dragons game need to approve it before the artist
0: even sees it. Right. So let's transition over to that um, second tier, which is uh, writing for a company like you just said, um, or or pre-existing. So basically, you know, I imagine you mentioned earlier that you're a big researcher. I imagine for that, like research is the most important step early on, right? You have to get to know the character. The, the, the villains, everything, like what, how yeah, they think, the more, how they talk. The more
1: material you've got, the more you know the property you're working with, just the easier and more painless it's going to be because you're not making those you know, basic mistakes in terms of either reusing stuff that, that you didn't know had already been done or misinterpreting a character or their motivation or just anything, you know, even dialogue, how they speak, what, what drives them, all that kind of stuff. So the, the more time I've got to be able to put into that research, the easier it's going to be on the back end for approvals and for everything else involved with the project. So I wrote a comic series for Samurai Jack, and I got the gig after I pitched on it. But as soon as I got the gig, I sat down and I rewatched every single episode, right. uh, just with a pad of paper there, writing down key lines of dialogue or writing down little plot things or questions that I had so that I could refer back to them later, you know, that's the kind of stuff that it's different from watching for fun, or it's different from reading for fun, you know, like when I do comic book research, I'm really carefully going through the material, and I'm reading it for a level of enjoyment, but I'm also, you know, uh, what I can do to put a spin on on something that has already existed, or what is there, you know, why do people really like this property? and, And what do I see in it That I like as well, so I can try and emphasize and strengthen those things.
0: And are you looking back for like small gems or or hints that maybe weren't ever intended to be expanded upon, but you're looking into that world and saying, Oh, that's an interesting concept. It was never expanded upon. You're
1: always sort of looking for those extra little elements, you know, whether it's um, subtexts or whether it's like old plot lines. You got to be careful not to navel gaze too hard on it. Like, you don't want to make the story so referential that new readers can't come on board right but if i can explain something in an elegant way and take an old plot line and give it a spin that's a lot of fun you know the fans tend to really enjoy that and i like it too you know if you're able to find kind of a new story out of the old that there's always something kind of uh, fun about that particularly in these kinds of sandbox kind of shared universes like the marvel universe or something like that
0: and who's the keeper of continuity? Would you say that, uh, it, that it's the editor that's the goaltender of, oh, like, you know, that's, you can't do that in this world or that yeah, never I mean, happened? The editor
1: is definitely the one who's got the, I wouldn't, you know, usually the final say, as long as it's nothing too epic. If you're trying to make a major character change, then it might have to go through more hands. Like, um, there's a, a mini series that I'm doing right now. We're doing a major, major character change. And so it had to go through like three levels of editorial approval because it was going to sort of ripple forward with a bunch of different plot line stuff. And so that was just a particular, you know, a a deeper cut, you know, like that needed to be sort of um, figured out. And there was a lot more back and forth kind of questions about it because everyone wanted to make sure that this was the right move, you know, narratively speaking. But that's, you know, once again, if you build up trust, the fact that we could even pitch that and then have it come through all those levels, you know, showed a level of trust on, on right. the fact of my editor and, you know, everyone involved in it, that they were excited about the
0: possibilities that I'd come up with. What is the, you know, we talked about your notes to, to the artist. What are, what are the notes from the editor to you like? is that, a, is that similar? Do you get, are there certain types of notes where you're like, oh man, I, uh, you know, that's, that's too much. Or are you like sure. always open to well, those ideas? I, you know,
1: and, and this is where having a good relationship with the editor is so important because it's, it's going to be that, you know, back and forth process. And sometimes those notes are just questions that they're asking. Like, is this, are you intending this to mean this? And you're like, if the answer is no, then you're like, oh man, I haven't communicated that as clearly as I thought I did. Or in my head that all made sense, but that didn't come through in the text. So I got to go back and, and, you know, clarify. Or sometimes it's just like, you know, li- literally, I know what you want to do here, but we're not allowed to do that because X, let's find another solution. And so either you come back with, hair hey, here's another way of doing it, or you come back with, I disagree. Let me explain to you why this is a brilliant idea right. and why we should totally do it this way. And then you try and bring them on side, you know, so they can take it up the ladder and fight for it you know, there's all sorts of different, uh, kinds of notes. Um, again, and it depends on the relationship you have with your editor. Like there's story stuff that I do now, um, at Marvel that I wouldn't have attempted when I first started there because they didn't know who I was and we were still building up that trust. And now I'll throw out kind of wilder ideas because I know that I won't come off crazy. Like they'll be like, Oh, okay, that doesn't work. But you know, we know you have good ideas in general. You're not just throwing these weird long bombs at us.
0: Right. And how long does the this note process go on until you've kind of finally come to a decision? Is Would you say on average this is a month? Is <laughs> uh, this a year? Until, what is- <laughs>
1: until the artist has no more time. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> until, okay. until the schedule runs out of track. That's usually how it works, you know. We're all making notes. We're all making little... Uh, it's The books rarely run ahead and they're almost never quite on time so there's this like frantic process by on time i mean like comfortably on time there's always a bit of a frantic process with a monthly book one of the things that's crazy about working on monthly comics is you're you're basically proofing and sending well you're you're brainstorming stuff that's going to come out six or seven months from now sometimes even longer sometimes eight months or nine months from now you're brainstorming that stuff and you're coming up with the initial concept. You're, you're getting approval on the outline for stuff that's going to be five, six months out. Four months out, you're writing, you know, ad copy and script. Uh, three months out, you're getting art notes in and, and roughs from the artist. Two months out, you're getting uh, coloring and lettering proofs. And then one month out, everyone's doing promotion and sending the thing off to press and hoping that it all worked out. So that's just one particular series, and if I'm doing multiple series, it's like I've got six, seven different issues, eight issues in my head that I've got to keep track of where we are in the process and what, you know, it's all going to be and where
0: it's going. And it's, uh, it's a little bonkers. And when, you, when you're working with the artist uh, during that process, you mentioned there's coloring, lettering processes that are kind of separate things as well. Um, when you're looking at those, um, the art is it all in black and white? Is it pre-ink? Is it you know where is it at during that whole it, process? Every
1: every artist has sort of got their own process. It, so some okay. of them send you real kind of rough thumbnail notes, and you're kind of looking at blobs and going, "Is that a person?" And then other times, <laughs> some guys do really really tight drawings, uh, you know, for you to to look over initially. So it everyone's different. There's no universal way of doing it. You know, sometimes the artist will. Um, have it all beautifully laid out, and you feel terrible to ask them to make any changes whatsoever. And other times, it's just little scratchy notes, and they're going through four or five different versions of it before everyone's sort of settled on how the page is going to come together. So yeah, it's just, again, it's like every project kind of comes with its own set of challenges as you get used to working with that particular art team.
0: And how often, when the process is completed, are you like, okay, cool, that came out exactly as I expected it, <laughs> uh, and how often are you kind of like, oh, that was different than I expected, but that was fine? And how often are you like, oh wow, I really didn't expect it to go in that direction?
1: It's hard for me to say. I think you know the the caliber of people I've been working with. I feel really lucky. Like I've, I've had really great, uh, a very fortunate kind of run of of artists that I've been able to work with, and almost all of them have been am- amazing. You know, the number of like projects I'm I'm displeased on the back end is pretty small, to be honest. Um, one of the nice things is I've got an art background myself. So I worked in animation for quite a while. And so when I'm writing my scripts and when I'm doing feedback on art notes, we're kind of speaking the same language. Like I'm, I'm talking about it in a very visual sense. And when I'm coming up with story stuff, it's very visual first and foremost. And so thankfully, a lot of the artists I've worked with tend to really like the scripts because they're not Insanely wordy, and I'm not trying to write a novel over top of their art. Like, I'm very much thinking of it as a this is an art page that has my text helping to drive the story rather than it being like,
0: hey, do some illustrations for my right. novel. Interesting. You know? Very humble take on it. Um, so, let's say you finish the comic, a long, one issue, I should say, of a, right. of a long, you know, ongoing series. series. What's the first thing that comes in your mind? What do, you, do you start the process over? Or how do you um, Well,
1: list? I mean, you're always, on an ongoing series, you're always thinking far ahead. So okay. you're trying to make sure that it's still, once the book's out there, you know, that's in print, you can't go back. So it's, it's not one of those things where I can undo the stuff that we've done. So sometimes you'll write story material and you think you know exactly where it's going and then plans change. And you have to look at the text that's been released and kind of go, okay, how are we taking a new spin on that? But usually you've got you know, the overarching plan and it's continuing from there. So you're trying to pick up on, on thematic sort of things that you can echo from earlier issues. You're trying to surprise the reader where you lead them towards what seems like an obvious conclusion. And then you sort of pull the rug out from under them. And if they go back, they realize, oh, you set up this other thing the whole time. Like There's all sorts of different ways you can play with people, particularly when you, it's serialized. One of the things that's interesting about doing the monthly books, though, is the fact that, like, the online component, the social media component is really strong. You know, you've got fans that are reading this stuff every month and asking you questions, and you get to this immediate feedback to see, oh, they really love this plot line, or oh, they really love this character. Maybe we should emphasize that a little more, or maybe there's a way to play against their expectations. You know, you're trying not to totally wrench your story away from where you were going but it's useful to sort of know that the audience is reading and what they're getting from it you know
0: interesting so you're i wouldn't say crowdsourcing but you're kind of taking into consideration the the ideas that are kind of coming in from sometimes the like
1: okay. it, you know sometimes you just there have been projects where i've been we've written them far in advance and there's just no way we would ever be able to uh make those adjustments but sometimes you know if you're on an ongoing series you're getting feedback on the first one while you're working on the fifth and sixth one. And you're like, Oh, okay. This can be useful sort of feedback in the grand scheme of things to get a sense of where people are, their heads are at or what
0: they're interpreting from the story. And one thing we didn't really talk about, and I'd be curious to know about um, how it plays into comics is backstory. Are right. What are your thoughts on, on backstory and, and is there such a thing as too much?
1: I'm sure there is like, I don't, you know, what's interesting about uh, the superhero characters in particular is you've got decades of continuity for a lot of these long running characters. And so the backstory set or the backstory is at least there's a bunch of material there you have to keep in mind. And sometimes it's really incongruent. Like I'll read stories of a character and their older stories, they're acting completely different. And there's not necessarily like a smooth transition and so you're sort of like, oh, you kind of have to decide like what version of the character feels true to me and what sort of traits am I going to emphasize when I'm writing them, you know, and everyone's a little bit different. And sometimes even it's weird with something like Marvel, a superhero will show up in three or four places and within a few months. And so you'll see a character bouncing around and little subtle differences based on who's writing them or, or what's going on there. And it's you know, sometimes the readers notice, sometimes they don't, but like, because I'm like, Marvel sends us all the books to, to keep up on continuity. I'm reading dozens and dozens and dozens of Marvel books every month. So you notice all this stuff all the time. You're like, Oh, so-and-so writes that character like this. You know, you just start to see those little patterns.
0: Have you ever felt, um, kind of landlocked or, or, uh, you know, just stuck because you're like, Oh, I want to tell this story of this character. But this, you know, comic from way back in the day says they did this, but then you're like, but I okay, I'm gonna try this, but then another comic maybe contradicts that. Oh so yeah. Kind of, I mean okay. you can
1: definitely feel kind of boxed in by right. old storylines or you've got a take on something, but the, the character's already kind of done that before. So you don't wanna just feel like you're spinning your wheels on it. It can be a challenge. Like working with established worlds and established characters is part of the job if you're gonna work for those companies. And so you kind of have to learn to, to let some of this stuff go or, you know, build your case as the case, you know, build your case up so that you can prove that this is going to be a good storyline, that it's got good dramatic potential and they should let you go this direction because look at all these, you know, benefits if we, if we take the character in this direction, but you've got to understand at the end of the day, it's not yours. You know, you didn't, you didn't create this particular stuff. You're not the owner of it. And so, you know, if I need an absolute outlet, I need, that's where I go to my creator-owned books. You know, that's where I have that as I'm the final arbiter of it. Whereas on the commercial stuff, you've got to understand, okay, I did my best. I made my case. They've decided to go another direction and I'll do my best to, to you know, help that vision come to life.
0: Going back to the fans a little bit, do you find, is there a pressure when you write for pre-established Um, or favorite you know comics do you find like oh if i write this and they don't like it there's a chance of like a backlash obviously we we live in a time of you know not to quote star wars a million times which i do but last jedi there's that star Star wars backlash do you fear that ever with when you're Um, approaching a new you can
1: you can definitely get worried about it you know i've had Readers get really they make assumptions about what your priorities are or what their priorities are in terms of the story of these characters or a lot of a lot of fans want things to be, you know, in a particular era that they grew up on. So they want a character to kind of be frozen in this version that they found was the best version. And so they never want them to change. But then those are kind of the same people who will get frustrated if the character feels like they're stagnant. So no matter what you do, some people are not going to be happy. You know, that's the thing. One character's favorite era of a character is another fans. That's the thing they hate, you know? Interesting. And so you've kind of got to divorce yourself from, you'll never make everyone happy, but you need to say, okay, what is it? What is the strength of the story? What is the dramatic potential? What is the emotional payoff? Am I proud of it? Is this going to work? And if you do your job well, you know, more people will come on side because they'll see the end result, you know, and you just got to kind of burrow down and, and make the best damn thing you can,
0: you know. Right. So, you know, we've gone through the process. Let's talk about for those listening who are, are aspiring writers, but now they know how to write the comic. How do they, A, uh, we talked about how you, kind of put the pen to the paper easily. What if, they ha- what if they're having trouble putting the pen to the paper? Are there remedies that you suggest for combating uh,
1: that? It's really, yeah. I always get people ask about writer's block or right. uh, whatever. I don't have like some killer payoff for that. You know, like I tend to, as much as possible, try and like write my way out of it. Like just getting material down is always better than, than not. Even if you think it's crap, even if you think it's uh, not ready yet, Having something there you can look at that you can you know plant a flag in the ground even if it's in the wrong spot at least you can measure against it and sort of go oh this isn't right at all but now I know that this isn't working I can go in another direction I can, I've got this out of my head mm-hmm. and I can you know take another stab at it or come at it from a different angle I think that you know when I hear about people that they just stop completely and they walk away from something I'm like well there are times when you want to let the stuff sort of gestate and, and you know marinate for a bit before you take another stab at it. But if you just leave it completely, you're not going to make any progress.
0: Yeah. And let's say they do get around to writing it. And they they, they follow your steps, they listen to this podcast episode, <laughs> they get to the end. How do they pitch it? What's the best approach for somebody who maybe doesn't have any connections? Do so they reach out to you and say, Hey, Jim, how do I, how do I make no. this happen? Actually, on my website, <laughs> I
1: have a ton of material on pitching and on writing. Because I teach, like I teach up at an art college right. in Toronto, uh, I tend to fall into this thing where I want to codify the process for people. Like, Not to say there's only one way to do it, because there isn't. There's tons of different ways to approach writing or any kind of creative process. But what people would ask me about, well, how do you write? Well, how do you pitch? Well, how do you get this to a publisher? And what I would do is I would write these articles that just say, well, this is what I did. And maybe it'll work for you and maybe it won't, but now you know what I did. And that hopefully will, you know, help you to avoid some common pitfalls. And so like on my website, I've got probably about 40 different articles on pitching, writing, scripting, some of the economics of Creator Own Comics, how to present your stuff at a convention, all kinds of different stuff that that people might find helpful. Um, But really, when it comes to pitching a publisher, the simplest thing I can tell you is brevity. Like, You need to be able to sum that concept up, because editors and publishers, particularly if you're a complete unknown, they don't have the time to sit there and indulge you. They're not going to read an 80-page document of all your brilliant ideas. You have to be able to filter it all down to a nice, clean, simple-to-understand concept that makes it clear why this thing is special or what the potential is so that a a publisher is intrigued enough to want to ask you for more information.
0: And would you say to those who are hoping for a big break, did you ever have a big break or was it just a series of working hard and continuing to work hard, taking it day by day and and slowly the snowball effect?
1: Um, I think it was, I mean, I had a breakout book of sorts. Like I had done a few comic projects In the early 2000s and then uh, a little bit of writing here and there through like 2006 2007 but it was like 2010 i released this uh, sword and sorcery series called skull kickers it was uh published by image the guys that do the walking dead and that sort of changed people's kind of if they knew who i was up till that point they hadn't really thought of me as a writer they just thought of me as sort of like a guy who worked at the studio and helped out and did a little bit of art and a little bit of organization and a little bit of working at conventions and all of a sudden they were like oh this guy can write stories oh it's pretty good um but it was but i benefited from all the years of slowly chipping away at it you know uh it wasn't like that story came out of nowhere and it wasn't like i i hadn't done other things Do you know what i mean so once that kind of happened and and I started to get offers for other writing projects thankfully I had enough other experiences where I was able to capitalize on it and kind of go okay this is this is good I know what you know I've been an editor on other books I know what an editor wants to see I will be the kind of person that delivers what they need you know I will have the reference material before they ask for it I will be able to explain this in a way that would that would have convinced me if I was running the book, you know? And so you, you kind of having as much knowledge of the pipeline as possible, you know, one of the best things I think a comic writer can do is actually learn how to letter comics. So put the word balloons and the sound effects into pages Interesting. because if you're the person that puts the words down and you figure out, Hey, this is how they put the words down. Now I'm the person writing them. You won't waste the letterers time. You won't, Be indulgent in a way that you would if you'd never done it before. You'd really understand exactly what every single caption, every single word balloon, every single sound effect is going to do to the storytelling process because you've been the person that's had to grind it out and put it there, you know? And, but any of that's true, whether it's coloring comics or drawing comics, like the more you understand the pipeline, the more valuable you're going to be to everyone in that pipeline, the better you're going to make
0: their job, you know? And let's take it one step further back. Before the big break, how did you even get started in comics? Were you always aspiring to write? Were there uh, specific uh, the inspirations you had? The first comic that
1: I ever did was actually I wrote and drew it, and I started putting it online. So this is 2001. I was working at an animation studio, and it was a pretty good job, but not entirely creatively fulfilling. And so in the evenings, I really wanted to do my own story, and I didn't know how to get it published. and I didn't know what that took, but I knew I could put stuff up online, and then at least my friends would be able to read it. <laughs> and so I just started posting pages up on a little website, three pages a week, and it was like the earliest pages were pretty crappy, but uh, you know, I, I was figuring out a process. I was figuring out how how to sequentially tell a story and what what kinds of paneling or what sort of techniques would work best to tell that story. And so, warts and all, that was a huge. Uh, learning curve for me. Like I ended up doing 180 pages, like a finished story and, uh, learned a lot from it and, and made some good contacts and some people really liked it and reached out. And, and that was very, very early on, but it was still something where, you know, just through the sheer volume of it, I was getting better, you know? And so, and that was kind of before, you know, webcomics were This is, you know, 2001 to 2003 was when I put that together. They were coming into their own, but they certainly, a lot of people would have considered that just like vanity publishing, like, oh, couldn't get a real publisher. I guess you got to put it online. And now it's so funny because, you know, online audiences is everything. And if you have a huge motivated online audience, publishers are falling all over themselves to try and get those people because that's where people are. That's where people are seeing new material. Uh, but it's just a different time now, you know, but even still the great thing is, is, is the talent pool. It's great. And it's terrible. It's, it's sort of terrifying. The talent pool is global. Like I can work with an artist on the other side Mm -hmm. of the world. I can, you know, interact with a publisher, even if I'm traveling. And so you have access to a bigger audience than ever before, and you have access to more talent and more artists, but you're also competing with everyone as well. So it's sort of a,
0: Six of one, half a dozen of the other kind of situation. Were there specific uh, comic books or comic book uh, writers that inspired you early?
1: Uh, I mean, you know, for me growing up, I read tons of superhero stuff, but it, so I could name a, you know, dozens of you know Marvel titles I used to read. But in when I was in high school and and Vertigo was coming out, you know, guys like Neil Gaiman were doing stuff that felt so much more literary, and it's weird because I don't know that my books necessarily are directly. You know, like I'm not trying to be Neil Gaiman, but that idea that you could aspire to do more with the form was really meant a lot to me and was sort of like, oh, made me really sit up and take notice that you could do any kind of story in comics. It wasn't just superheroes, it wasn't just kind of adventure stories. That was really cool. And, you know, even now it's like, uh, I would love to, you know, create something with that kind of depth or drama. And, and have that kind of effect on people that would be uh yeah something to aspire to
0: could i ask you what i like to refer to as a series of seemingly random questions uh i guess so uh first one did anyone ever tell you hey you can't do that you can't be a writer um i have people concerned
1: that it would not be uh fi- you know fiscally uh a responsible way of spending my time but but honestly um I think that was sort of true of animation and a bunch of other things as well. My parents were, were generally quite supportive, worried because they didn't want me to be, you know, destitute, right. starving artist or whatever may have you, but, but still supportive. Like as long as I could explain why I was doing what I was doing and that there was an end goal and it wasn't just randomly flailing, they were, they were backing me. So I don't know that I've had someone who said, no, like you cannot, you know, on particular projects, you are not getting this job. Absolutely. But not like
0: that big broad, you can't do this. And what's the life of a writer like? Are you uh, going to coffee shops and hanging with other uh, you know, famous uh, writers? And is it like a you know, life of luxury? Or, or what's, the, what's the real life like?
1: Um, it's, it's weird. Like it's, it's very sedentary sometimes because you're working away alone in your office. So when you do get to go to a convention, when you do get to go to – like I did a um, – A creative summit at the marvel office a few weeks back and you get to hang with a bunch of people whose work you admire and you know you get to talk about process and gossip and all that stuff and it's very cool and a little bit surreal because some of these people you grew up reading their stuff but but those are sort of weird little punctuated moments like most of it is you at home trying to think your way through a problem or trying to solve a thing or coming down for dinner and you know, my wife looks at me like I've got this screwed up expression on my face because I'm clearly trying to figure <laughs> something out, you know? Right. Uh, that's the majority of it. And then, but but what people see is they go to a convention and, you know, you sign a book for someone and they're like, oh man, I wish I could, you know, have a book and autograph it. And I go, well, like that's sort of like the final icing on the cake. Like what I'm really passionate about is making the books and making the stories. And I'm so thankful they get published and that people enjoy them. And then they want me to make the book less than mint by scribbling my name on it but that's kind of not why i'm in it like i not that i mind it i thoroughly enjoy it i love being at the convention i no one could tell you that they would not want to hear people say that they like your work because everyone loves it it's a great feeling but i'm passionate about telling the stories i'm passionate about making the thing that's what drives me to keep doing it particularly when i've got a day job so you know almost every weeknight i'm out working really late because I got to get you know the other job done I got to do the comics and so when you're juggling these two careers at the same time it makes you appreciate it kind of that much more because you're not because every moment you're spending on it is a choice not necessarily like you know my teaching job pays the bills my comic job is like a bonus like that's what is my my passion right now
0: if you could have dinner with any writer living or dead who would you choose?
1: Uh, um, oh, geez. That is a <laughs> damn tough question. Um, I would love to say something really uh, deep and meaningful on that that would just blow people's minds and, and knock them absolutely out. <laughs> but I don't know that I have like a nice simple answer for that. Um, and you don't need to. Yeah, it would be really cool to have gone to dinner with someone like Jack Kirby. Okay you know? And like, actually, cause he just, whenever I, he didn't do a lot of interviews, like, you know, don't get me wrong, Stan Lee's great and everything, but it's like, you can hear Stan in a million different interviews and a right. million different media outlets. But Jack was so quiet and he was so kind of reserved. And so it'd be interesting to like have a beer with that guy and get a feel for what it was like to be, you know, making those books, you know, through the Fifties, sixties, you know, all that kind of stuff.
0: You said you mentioned beer. What's the oh, the writer's beer of choice? Or you? Or the even writer's yours. beer yeah. might.
1: <laughs> so I drink a lot of ciders. Okay. Uh, I got obsessed with ciders when I was in college, and one of my buddies would constantly buy these ciders. So we would drink Strongbow, which, if you're in England, some people will be like, "Oh, it's trash," but other people will be like, "Yeah, that's just your standard kind of beer." But around around here, it's a little more highfalutin, I guess. I don't know. Drink a lot of ciders, uh, but I'll drink a lot of Japanese beers as well. Um, I really like traveling to Japan for research for uh, my Wayward series, and so I drink a lot of Sapporo nice. and Asahi beer. Like, uh, so yeah, those tend to uh, tend to find themselves into my pint glass. Nice. What about sake? Uh, I drink some sake, but that stuff will like get you smashed. So fast. <laughs> uh, so yeah. uh, with reservation, yes.
0: Not conducive to, to writing a, a, no. a, a no, story. Well,
1: yeah, that's the sort of thing. It's like uh, being, being a little bit tipsy is great for sort of uh, initial idea generation, but it's right. not so good for structure and it's not so good for finishing at the, you know, heading to the finish line.
0: Definitely. And um, what is something about your work that nobody knows? That nobody knows? It could be your process. It could be about something about previous work
1: um well okay so this is going to sound extra mysterious but i can't actually tell you the full thing but i will give you a little secret that's not the full secret so although i've written a ton of stuff about pitching stories and about you know uh uh, telling giving people a peek behind the curtain one of the things i'm known for is writing team books i really like writing groups i really like writing character interactions and I figured out a method for that that works really well for me. And that's one of the only things that I've never posted, my sort of method online. And every time I include this particular aspect in a pitch, it always goes over like gangbusters with an editor. Wow. So it's like my secret weapon that I keep in reserve. It's like your finishing move. It is like a yeah, finishing move. Nice. It's nice. And so I've posted so many different things about how I write, how I pitch, how I... Uh, develop stuff. And I have never, ever posted about that. I don't even talk about it with other writers. (laughs) Nice. And it's not like I think that no one has ever done it. I'm sure tons of other people have, but I'm just so paranoid because one of the first times I did it, the editor gushed and gushed and gushed about it and said that it was like so great. And that was what convinced them to hire me for the project. And every time I've used it, it's always gone over well. So I just never
0: tell anyone about it. Right. And a magician should never show all of the tricks. That's the trick that I keep keep close to my chest. Nice. Um, So yeah, we didn't actually get a chance to talk about, A, uh, what you're currently working on, B, what's coming up next. Um, Right. I believe you're working on Avengers, Champions, Dungeons and Dragons, Wayward. Is that correct? Or are there others?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm doing uh, I'm doing the Dungeons and Dragons. Series. I'm also doing uh, Rick and Morty versus Dungeons and Dragons, right. which
0: I'm co-writing right about with that.
1: Pat Rothfuss. I'm very excited about. That sounds awesome. I'm just wrapping up um, an uh, Wolverine miniseries called Mystery and Madripoor. That's going to be uh, coming out over the summer. The second issue actually comes out next week uh, when we record this. Um, and uh, I've got some other Marvel stuff in development that hasn't been announced yet, and uh, yeah, more sword and, sword and sorcery uh, project stuff that's in the hopper that I'm also working on. So it's a pretty full slate. It's somewhere between five and six projects that I'm sort of juggling
0: at the same time. How do you find time to play Dungeons & Dragons?
1: Well, I don't play as often as I would like. I had a regular campaign going for uh, last, last year. We had It was almost weekly. I was super happy. Uh, and right now it's, it's on hiatus because all of us are, everyone in the group is, uh, either a writer or other creative person and our schedules just got slammed cause it's convention season. So I am, um, kind of starving for, for more D and D, uh, you know, D and D is one of the reasons why I'm a writer. Like, honestly, I grew up playing D and D with my older brother and cousins and they were much older than me, and so we couldn't do sports stuff. They would just trounce me. Uh, but what we could do, and how I felt kind of equal to them, is if we played D anD D, when my turn came, if I had a great idea, or if I entertained them or made them laugh, I felt like I was, you know, one of the older boys. Like I was, like I was an adult. Like I had something to contribute. And so entertaining them and being entertaining, you know, it just kind of started to become natural. I wanted to tell those stories. I wanted to develop those characters. I wanted to make my mark on that stuff. And so that was a creative spark that drove me to want to tell stories. And so I've told like the literally the, the guys at the d d office. I was in the office last year. They brought me out to do some consulting for upcoming story stuff for the game products. And uh, oh. I just literally told them, like, you guys are the reason, not you specifically, but D&D as a whole is the reason why i i'm a writer now you know and uh yeah it's just it feels so cool to be able to to actually kind of contribute to the to the to the brand to the
0: game yeah it's awesome have you considered playing dungeons and dragons with uh other writers like starting a campaign yeah
1: it's it's come up you know we've talked about it particularly nowadays like so many more people play online they play on skype or they put together their group and it's all digital everyone's Sitting in their PJs, playing at home instead of being in person. So it's come up in conversation. Like uh, there's a ton of different, you know, uh, writers of superhero comics who are old, you know, role playing game heads and stuff like that. So we've talked about we've talked about doing a live game for charity and stuff. It's it's one of those things that just keeps sort of percolating in the conversation until someone's going to actually execute it.
0: We may ask you to come back on and play Dungeons and Dragons on the on the next time you're on the on the show if not that uh at the very least we'll we'll get John with another writer or something to that effect.
1: You know, the great thing about D&D, you know, we're in a we're a society of people that are constantly plugged in and constantly being inundated with other people's entertainment and the ability to spend time with your friends and loved ones and and all be able to collaboratively create something I think is very special and unique. It particularly now, you know, in a time when we are just we rarely get those kinds of chances in our lives. And so it, I think it's really fun. And I, I'm so thrilled that, that D&D seen this incredible resurgence. And I hope more and more people keep doing it.
0: Plus, I feel like uh, playing D&D with a writer as a dungeon master might make the game infinitely better. Because now that I think about it, playing D&D as a young person, you know, you don't have the writing experience yet but to come from somebody who is more experienced written you know D &D comics like i can imagine that would be quite uh, an adventure
1: it's tons of fun one of the things that's nice is like i said everyone in the group is a creative person so we're all kind of bringing ourselves into it we're all given you know a lot more you you think a lot more about the process than you did as a kid you know as a kid it was just like okay this is a shared thing we're doing but it was more about like yourself like i'm gonna do something cool with my character and when you're playing collaboratively with your friends, it's just like a totally different level when you're when you're an adult. First of all, you don't have to worry about like, can anyone afford to order the pizza? You know, uh, so, <laughs> true. Great. so But true. on top of all that, you're also just able to, yeah, just I think invest yourself in it that much more because you appreciate the time you're spending.
0: Well, speaking of time, thank you for your time. No, <laughs> poor no poor transition there. But, a good, um, no, a good yeah. <laughs> um, well, dude, super awesome to hear about, um, your writing process, your writing, um, and you know, even hearing about Dungeons and Dragons being an inspiration to all that is super cool. Um, I feel like we just kind of touched the the very surface of all this, but, um, hope to have you back on.
1: Like if people want to find out more about what I'm doing or, or the books I'm working on or read those tutorials, uh, they can just go to my website. It's just jimzub.com. And, uh, there's all kinds of, uh, good stuff for people to dig into.
0: Definitely. We will shout those out for sure. So thanks Jim. Um, take care. And for those listening, thank you for listening. And, uh, we'll see you next week on the writer experience podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the writer experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating a review and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McCleod.